brief fundraising announcement. As you may or may not know, edX Global is a completely nonprofit organization that is run by volunteers. 100% of our donations go to student-led projects around the world, and it would help us tremendously if you donated even as little as $5. Please send us a donation through PayPal or Venmo to edxglobalinc at gmail.com, spelled E-D-A-C-T-S-G-L-O-B-A-L inc at gmail.com. You can be provided with a tax-exempt ID number after your donation by requesting through the same email address. Thank you for your donation. You are listening to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today we have two guests. We have Sarah Lader and Nicole Nicholson. Sarah Lader is an international attorney and lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force Reserve. She has served in the Air Force in various capacities over the 17 years and specializes in international contract law and international human rights law. She is also an advocate for women's rights globally. Nicole Nicholson was born and raised in Southeast Michigan. She is the second of three children, having an older brother and younger sister. Nicole spent lots of quality time with her siblings, parents, and other relatives growing up through sports, which included basketball and track and field. She graduated from Kentucky University in 2014 and was commissioned as a logistics officer in the Air Force that same year. She has been on active duty for seven years and will be taking her next assignment as an ROTC instructor at her alma mater this summer. We need to take a moment and add a small disclaimer. Sarah and Nicole are members of the United States Air Force and will be discussing their experiences in the military. Any views expressed are their own and not the opinions of the United States Air Force. All right, welcome ladies. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, we're with with March being Women's History Month. We have two wonderful guests, Nicole and, and Sarah, who are presently serving in Germany within the U.S. Air Force. Ladies, thank you so much for for being here with us. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here. Can you give uh, us a little uh, background on on where you grew up and what you're doing now? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll I'll, I'll go. So. Um, so I grew up in uh, Southeast Michigan, was born in Detroit, grew up uh, in Canton, Michigan, uh, lived there my entire life until I was 18. And uh, instead of staying in the wonderful state of Michigan, uh, I decided to uh, take, my, take my talents a little further south and went to the University of Kentucky, um, where I studied and got my bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, oh. And yeah, so at the same time while I was there, uh, I decided um, to go ahead and apply for the RTC or go into the ROTC program for the Air Force. So I did that while I was there as well. And then, uh, so I graduated in 2014, commissioned that same year and spent probably two months back home uh, before the Air Force said it's time to come on to active duty. And uh, yeah, that's that's where it all began. And Good old September of 2014, I moved from Michigan to Anchorage, Alaska to begin my career as wow. a logistics officer. So, Super cool. Wow. How about you, Sarah? 
I am originally from Houston, Texas. I went to the University of Texas for my undergrad degree. I graduated in 2004 with a Bachelor of Arts in Government. I joined the Air Force right after that and was stationed in Japan and Korea. While I was in Korea, I did my master's in business administration and then went to Turkey. After that, I went to the reserves and I went to law school at the University of Oklahoma. And then I came out here to Germany and I did my LLM work, uh, my post JD work at a university out here in Germany, the uh, Saarland University in Saarbrücken, where I studied international human rights and international contract law. And I've been here ever since. That's pretty awesome. You guys are uh, two pretty uh, strong women making differences across (laughs) the globe, literally. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything that you... Uh, did like as a youth or an experience that you had that brought you into the military that um, impacted that decision? Yeah. So for me, uh, my dad was in the army um, my entire life. Uh, He, so he was in the army, he was in the uh, national guard for a long time and then switched to the reserves kind of later in his career. So we never moved anywhere. So hence why I grew up in Michigan my whole life. Um, But he was in the army and my dad's got like, a lot of brothers and sisters and a lot of his brothers were in various branches of the military as well. So um, specifically though, one, uh, one that really kind of spurred my interest uh, even more, I had an uncle who was in the air force and he was stationed here at Ramstein um, when I was young. And so he, he allowed me and my brother and a few of our cousins to come out and visit him for a few weeks over the summer in uh, 2001. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get back to Germany at some point in my life. So, wow. fortunate, to, yeah, fortunate enough to be back here. Um, and oddly enough, he actually lives like twenty minutes up the road from me. So that's super cool. Uh, pretty great full circle. Um, but that is what brought me into the Air Force. Um, I did want to join the Army like my dad, but he was like, Nah, why don't you just go in the Air Force? It's, <laughs> it's better. <Yeah>. So <laughs> Agreed. here I am. Yeah. What about you, sir? Um, well, a lot of times they say that the military is a calling. For me, that's really the end of the beginning and the end of that story. Uh, my father was in the Navy reserves. I didn't move around either. Never really thought I would follow in his footsteps, um, but he was very proud of me when I did. Um, okay. And now it's been 17 years. Wow. And um, one of the things that we that we opened up with is that March is is Women's History Month, and to recognize that, one of the things that that I would that as a as a male I I, I recognize or my maybe maybe call it ignorance that the that the that the military is very much a male dominated area, um, and so can you can you share what your what what it's been like for you maybe when you when you first entered and how are things now um yeah so i i've i've not been in for very long um and i've been fortunate enough to work for and work with um a lot of men who definitely value uh diversity value inclusion um, and value, you know, helping, helping people do well and succeed. And so, um, 
my my experience again has has been has been pretty great with uh, the men that I've been able to work with um, for, um, and so uh, it's it's important to me that they've recognized that they have a uh, capacity to help someone along and help move their career along, and more importantly, that they they're looking at their talent, they're looking at the skill that you have, they are valuing your inputs um, and care about the fact that they want you to succeed. So um, so I've, I've, I've been fortunate in that arena, but again, you know, having only been in for seven years, I, I think it's really been in the last like seven or 10 years that these types of things have started to be really valuable. So um, I was fortunate in to come in right, right as that was happening. So haven't really had any or too many anyway, uh, bad experiences with that. So, yeah. And I, I can agree with what you're saying. We're now starting to recognize. And by, I mean, now like within the last five to seven years, starting to recognize, uh, the importance of these training just to be sensitive to, you know, topics that come up and may not necessarily be as socially acceptable, but like talking about gender in the workplace, talking about race in the workplace, talking about these things and not shying away for that. So, um, yeah, I agree. Sarah, I, th I think maybe you might have other experiences since you've been in a bit longer. Do you have anything? I've been in uh, 10 years longer than Nicole. I will say that when I came in, I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I don't think I recognized a lot of discrimination. But now with the benefit of a lot of hindsight, I can absolutely point to times that I was silenced in meetings. But I don't think that experience is um, necessarily unique to the military. I think that happens in all workplaces. But I have noticed that in the last five to 10 years, there's been a much more conscious effort to elevate women's voices and talk about diversity and inclusion. Um, but that's not to say that that the the race is won. Um, I think there's still a long way to go because it's still a very male dominated career field, and we're still celebrating things like, you know, first woman, you know, first cadre of women generals. You know, we're still talking about first things that women are doing in the Air Force. So there's still plenty of plenty of room to grow. Yeah, and I in one of the classes I had to take. Recently, there was an article where it was a Space Force, uh, I guess, unit, and it was all females, and they were celebrating that, which, great, but also part of that conversation that I brought to it was the fact that we're still, like, we're celebrating it, that there's an article about this means that it's not the norm, right? That it's it's the exception. Um, exactly. It's a good step in the right direction. However, there's still a long way to go. You know, and I think that, brings up a really good, um, something really good to talk about because for myself, there's, there's always the talk about the first Latino this and Latino that or Latina. Um, one of the things that, that I remember I was, I was speaking to one of my graduate professors and I was teaching a multicultural ed class and he was a white professor and he was and, and he shared with me he, he's like one of the problems of multi multicultural ed and when he said that my you know the hair on the back of my neck started to go up he was like one of the problems is that I've been wanting to teach 
to teach this class for many, many years, but I'm not allowed to um, because I'm a white male. And he, he's like, who, who would listen more if a white male was talking about prejudice and racism and privilege? Um, he, he's like, because Fred, when you enter that class, you have a quote unquote reason to teach that class. If a woman is teaching that class, they also have a quote unquote, unquote reason to do that. Whereas someone like me, students would see me and, and think, why is he teaching this class? And so um, with regards to um, everything in which we're talking about with regards to Women's, women's History Month, um, who is the best voice to talk about it? Anybody that has, uh, I don't think there's a need to have a specific type of voice speak to truth of a matter, like truth is truth and um, it needs to be put out there. What I think helps is having um, people, several different colors of voices talk to that matter um, because it gives you the, a lot of different perspectives and it kind of and it can bolster the need for why we need to talk about it or um, things like that. So um, me personally, I, I don't think it matters who, who does it. Um, I think it matters that there's multiple people doing it um, and that all of those voices are heard and recognized and acknowledged. Wonderful. I don't have a problem with men speaking about women's issues, but I do think that it's important that the men who want to speak about women's issues listen to women before speaking about women's issues. Because, I, I say that because a lot of times using the voices of people outside of the category, in this case we're discussing women, but it could be race, it could be anything, um, can elevate the voices of the category that you're trying to highlight. So I don't, does that make sense? I don't have a problem with men speaking about women's issues. If, if what they are trying to do is elevate voices of women and the causes of women. No, I, I, I totally under, understand that, um, Sarah, because I remember in, in graduate school, uh, I was talking to our resident multiculturalist and when she would talk about Latinos in school, she, she, she always had all of her students read, um, read a book of female Latina gang members in Los Angeles. Um, and I came in saying, how can you do this? You know, this isn't me. This isn't, you know, I, one, I don't speak Spanish. Two, I, I was never part of a gang. Three, I went to private schools. Um, what you're doing is you're, is, is you're providing more stereotypes out there. And, and what was, what was nice was that there were, there were other faculty there that, that wanted to hear what my background was, whereas she was kind of stuck in that, you know, that, no, this is a, you know, the, you know the, this is a great book to read. Students should be reading it, um, without giving any, any, any type of voice for anyone else. Um, so, so yeah, I, um, I, I really understand what you're, what you're saying. Just to make one final comment on diversity and inclusion in the military, 
we look a lot tomorrow we're recording this on March 7th tomorrow is March 8th which is International Women's Day and that day is identified because that is the day that it takes for women to earn as much as men do in a year wow so for me and Nicole we earn the same as men um our pay is based on our rank and on our time in service and we earn the same as the men so it's easy to look at that and say oh check the military's got it solved <laughs> but i think we should also look at how many women are going into the military and how many women are getting promoted to the higher ranks right. so that does actually impact women's pay you're right because uh yeah. we just finally had our first chief master sergeant of the air force as a female uh you know this past year and that is the highest enlisted rank that you can hold in the entire air force which of course, is connected to pay. So that's a really good point, Sarah, that you brought up. Uh, and Nicole and I discussed this very, very briefly the other day about, yeah, we're paid equally in the military. Just looking at it, straight brass tacks, right? We're paid equally. But when you bring up the point where, well, are we promoted as equally as men? Are, are we given as many opportunities to excel as men are? And, and that is certainly an area for growth. Definitely. So do you either of you have a story or an experience where a time really stood out to you where you realize like, oh, I'm, I'm different. I'm not like the other. I'm not like the majority here uh, in this workplace. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, okay. So, um, I've got two, two, two ways to describe this because uh, for me as a black female, um, there are instances of this happening all the time. And I can give you a more recent instance. Um, and Malia, I think you remember this from work the other day, um, talking with one of our bosses about like a band of some sort. Um, and he was like trying to explain this band to me. Like I had heard of the band um, and I was not as excited about him telling me about this band because I'm like, I didn't grow up, grow up listening to this kind of music. Like that's just, um, that's just not what I grew up with. So like things like that, where people just inherently share stories about themselves, um, in an environment where they think everybody else should know said story or said significance of things happens to me all the time. Cause there's just a lot of things that I just. I just didn't grow up listening to or watching or knowing who these people are. And anytime I would try to say things about, or talk about things that I grew up with, like it kind of falls on deaf ears because nobody knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, unless I'm like talking to other black people and then I'm like, then you kind of get in this zone where you can chat it up. So that's kind of a regular instance. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure everybody uh, in some level kind of experiences that, but that's just, um, something I thought of, but, um, the other instance, uh, I remember as a second lieutenant, um, we were having some issues within our, within our workplace and a lot of us, other LTs, we were getting together, um, trying to talk through these things and, you know, really frustrated and complaining and all that kind of stuff. And the person that I am, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll say something to the boss about it. Like I'm, I don't care. <laughs> I'll, I'll say something because obviously 
Um, we all have a, a, a thought about this and obviously it's important to us. So somebody should say something other than us just sitting here complaining about it. Um, and so I did, and that kind of spiraled into uh, something for a few months for me that the best way I can describe it is I was possibly looked at as like the angry black girl uh, type deal because of what I was describing as something that was frustrating and not just to me, but to my coworkers as well. Um, and so it, I, I remember um, kind of having to grapple with that, um, that professional environment thing, as well as, you know, just personal experiences as being new to the military, being in a completely uh, new place, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, but this also kind of goes back to, um, I'm appreciative of a lot of the men that I've worked for, um, one in particular, because he like recognized that and tried to, uh, you know, tried to reach out to me, tried to help me walk through it. Like it took a while for me to like break down this, uh, what, what I was feeling in an appropriate manner to him. Uh, but it's really important to have those kind of ally type people that aren't just going to write you off um, and aren't going to uh, assume something about you. Like he didn't assume anything about me. He tried to talk to me and, um, help me understand his point of view. I tried to talk to him and help him understand my point of view and our point of view. Um, and eventually we came to, you know, uh, reconciliation, but, um, yeah, so those are, those are two instances that I can think of as a continual instance and a very specific, um, instance. Yeah, that's a really good example. And I think that's something that we as women struggle with sometimes thinking about how to soften the blow of our words as to not sound like, you know, angry or, you know, just, you know, I'm trying not to use a swear word. So, <laughs> but you know, like, because if we're a strong personality and we're upset and we're passionate about something, then we get labeled for that. And so that's something that we, you know, have to try to balance is how to appropriately express our frustration with something while, you know, of course, always being respectful, uh, but I guess, you know, like allowing it to be heard as so they don't judge us in the, in the midst of us expressing our anger or frustration. So I think it's a maturity thing too, because yeah. like I said, I was still a fresh young lieutenant yeah. um, and I was feeling some type of way about something. So I, it, I expressed it and I, in hindsight, you know, you, I could have expressed it differently, but um, I think my points were still valid. It's just, you know, delivery yeah. is important. So, um, yeah, yeah. What about you, Sarah? I was just thinking about all of the times that I've been way more concerned about my appearance at work. Even though we're in uniform, I can't go to work without my hair pulled, you know, back and neatly pulled back. I usually wear makeup to work. I assure you, the men that I work with do not think of these things. And I also worry about, you know, what are they going to think if I take leave right now? You know, things, I think things that are transcendent between the military and the civilian world. But I do have one funny story. I was a young captain, this is uh, 12 years ago, and I was deployed and I was in a staff meeting. And one of the 
one of my coworkers stood up to give a briefing and he began the briefing with good morning, gentlemen. And I remember looking around the room and I was the only woman in the room, but I was still in the room. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, am I not here? Yeah. And I just, it really highlighted to me that I was the only woman in the room there. Sarah, that happened to me last week. And you're saying this happened to you 12 years ago, but that exact thing happened to me last week. And I had the same reaction. I like, I was like, there are women in this room and I am one of them. But I think because they're so often used to briefing men or the men are the highest ranking people in the room that were overlooked. It's frustrating. It was a room full of men and he was talking to everyone. And I was the only woman there. And I did not recognize that I was the only woman there until he said that. Yeah. Now, um, one of the things that, that Nicole was, was saying, and, and I want to jump back on it is that there's that, there's that spirit of mentorship, um, that, that I, I think both of you are, are talking about, um, what, how important is that for for you as as women in the in the in the, in the military? But also, how how important is, is that for for you to bring up a next generation of men and or women? Yeah, I think uh, mentorship is important no matter what, right? Um, but I, there's a time, and I think we're at that time now where it's important to be really deliberate about understanding that talent exists everywhere and not just in specific people. And so the, I think the leaders of this time, um, I think it's important for them to be deliberate about understanding that talent comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, um, and all sorts of things. And so really try to get outside of their uh, maybe immediate thought processes of what talent looks like and what it should look like. Um, and so, um, again, I, I've had really great experiences with, uh, the men in my life who have, um, made it a point to be like, you are going to go do this because I know that you have the capability to do it. You're the best person to do it. I'm not just choosing you because, you know, you're a woman or you're black, like you are the best person to do it. And, um, I'm going to be deliberate about, you know, taking this time to move you into this position, even if maybe it's going to be a little awkward for you to do, or even if maybe um, you might not feel ready or, you know, go through that whole thought process of how you prepare somebody for, or, you know, taking on a, a, a level of responsibility. And so um, I think this is, this is a great time in history to uh, really kind of break your norm of how you view and uh, believe talent and skills should look like or the packaging rather that it should look like and not, you know, what, what it actually, what it actually is. So. Sarah. I think, first of all, I would like to say that I have been the person putting Nicole in positions that made her uncomfortable and she is always (laughs) the right person for the job even when she doesn't know that she is. Um, I will say that the importance of mentorship is, has always been, but I think is more so now vital, not only for women coming up in the military, but also for men coming up in the military. 
in the last few years, we've seen the Me Too movement. We've seen a highlight of sexual assault in the military. And I can tell you from personal experience that sexual assault prevention training has changed since I joined the military. When I joined the military, they were saying things like, if you don't want to be sexually assaulted in the military, you should do things like not walk alone. You should watch how much you drink. You should stay, you know, not, not stay out too late. They were saying things like this. And in the last few years, it's changed to, if you are sexually assaulted, it is not your fault. A crime was committed against you. And it is, it is incumbent that everybody understands what consent is, which is a real high change for just for the training in general. And so that mentorship for women and for men coming up in the military and how to respond to one another in these environments, because it's the military and some of the stereotypes are true. We do joke around a lot and some of it is offensive. And I think understanding when someone lets you know that that's not okay and and what consent is and that it's not just sexual, that is, has been absolutely revolutionary in the last few years. Yeah, I agree. Sarah, they've really focused on that piece of teaching people. And uh, and, uh, sadly, we focus on on men uh, because that's the highest reported rate is men as the perpetrator. But teaching men or people how to get consent, how to behave, how to not be a predator, you know, like how no means no. And that doesn't mean wear her down until she says yes. (laughs) So um, really, really good point that you brought up. Uh, You know, I've been in the military for a little bit longer than you, but not much. But I can agree with some of those things that I've seen grow over the last decade, let's say. What do you think are some of the biggest struggles with working women in the 21st century, trying to maintain personal life, family, home life, those types of things? Exactly all that. (laughs) Trying to maintain your professional life and be the best professional as you can be. Um, Trying to understand that being a professional is not the only thing life is about. Uh, And, you know, making sure that you uh, keep in contact with with your family and with your friends. Um, I know it's kind of difficult to do, uh, especially, I wouldn't say especially for, but because my only experience is with as being in the military and moving around as a single person. Um, but it's, it's pretty hard uh, to have to up and move and make new friends and also try to learn your new job and get comfortable in this new place that you that you're in. Um, so yeah, just all of those things. It, it's, it's tough. Um, and I had a boss tell me one time that it's not about balancing, but it's about um, prioritizing what's important. Um, so that way you can put all of your energy into what you're prioritizing as your number one thing at that moment. And it's okay to kind of move around what your priorities are because life life happens. And so you, sometimes you have to. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just, yeah, that. That's all I got for that one. I don't think I'm about to say anything revolutionary or even all that specific to the military, but 
the invisible labor that normally falls on the shoulders of women to maintain a household, to raise children, to maintain a professional life can sometimes be highlighted in the military because women are in the military and we move around a lot. And so I think we might see it and feel it in ways that are brighter in some ways, but I'd also like to take a moment to recognize that most military spouses are women. And so un and underemployment for military spouses because of all of the moving is something that is not talked about very much because women who are military spouses, a lot of them get married young and maybe don't have time to go to university or trade school or be able to find a steady job. And then when you move every two to three years, it can be really difficult to maintain any sort of stable life. Yeah, especially if you have a job where you need a state certificate. So if you're stateside, and let's say you're a dental hygienist, you have to take that board at each state that you move to. Or you're a teacher, same thing. Get credentialed. Lawyers have a lot of the same problem. Mm -hmm. Lawyers have a hard time getting barred every place they move to. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we're we're talking about a lot of really good Really good items. What would you wish wish to tell young young women? Uh, because uh, both both Malia and I have this education background, and we're all very um, active with with um, with K twelve schools and and also with with a nonprofit. What would you wish to tell young young women who are listening um, regarding their education, career choices, day to day life? Um. I'll let Sarah go first on this one. Um, (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of emphasis on knowing exactly what you want to do when you're really young. And I think that what I would like to tell young women is that you can make a difference and you can make a difference in any capacity. And it does not have to be in a job And it does not have to be in what you think you're going to do. And you can change your mind. But regardless, whatever you choose to do, do it with your whole heart. I like that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I I feel very similarly. Uh, It's important to recognize that you have to value the time that you have, but also understand that you likely have more time than you believe that you have um, to be successful. And success is not uh, societal, determined by society. It is up to each individual person to define um, what success will mean for them. And so uh, to not get so wrapped up about, wrapped up around um, what, people writ large in society are doing, but to understand that you have your own purpose in life um, and that purpose comes with its own timeline um, and to not get so wrapped up in having to meet milestones um, 
that, I mean, it, it's up to you. It's up to you, like, uh, what you, what you want to be successful in and what you define is that, that level of success. So. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, that's one of the things that, that I changed, uh, when I'm like, when I'm working with youth, I don't ask them what they want to be in life. I ask them what type of person do they wish, wish, you know, wish to be 20 years from now. Um, and, and they look at me like puzzled. They're like, Oh, so you don't want to know what career I want to do, but the type of person that I wish to be. And they're like, well, that's kind of cool. (laughs) You know, because yeah, there's, we, because yeah, we, we put so much pressure on, on kids to know what they want to do. And then if they don't do it, then they feel all depressed. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. While we're in this pandemic, uh, how do you think that it's affecting women particularly? I have statistics. Great. (laughs) I actually pulled up some statistics about this because I knew we were going to discuss it. Um, So one thing that we probably don't talk enough about in during the pandemic is that one in three women are trapped in abusive relationships and think about, I don't think it takes much imagination to understand that that means that women are in very dangerous situations when they are in quarantine with their abuser and there is no opportunity to get away. I, I think I saw a statistic. I, let me pull it up. Yeah, domestic abuse went up 20%, reported domestic abuse went up 20% during the pandemic. Also, we have to recognize that a lot of healthcare workers, nurses, and volunteers and social service workers are women. So I have women perform, women form 70% of the workforce in health and social, social sector work. 49 million women have their needs unmet do medical needs unmet during this pandemic. And about 743 million girls are out of school. So those are just some broad statistics that I got off of a COVID and gender website. But I think what it highlights is that this pandemic will have long-term impacts on women specifically. We also have to recognize that when everybody took their work home, Women were largely the ones expected to do all of the house labor, turn into teachers for children, as well as do their jobs from their house. And a lot of, I I don't want to completely throw shade at men, but I think it highlighted a lot of the invisible labor that women do every day. Yeah, and and I think one of the, I I do agree that, that we're not, we're not talking about this at all. Um, we're not, you know, and and it's and it's going to be, un, unfortunately, I think a lot of people are are going to be turning turning towards schools to figure this out, without without the schools probably even even knowing that this is taking place. Um, so yeah, it's there's there's going to be a, a lot of work that needs to be done. Um. Nicole, do you want to share with anything 
about this? Uh, I don't have statistics in front of me like <laughs> the lawyer Sarah, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much to add, so I'll leave, leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Um, so when talking about COVID and, and what are, you know, there's, there's a lot of negatives. Are there, are there any positives coming out from it? My personal experience is I've been reading a lot more. So (laughs) 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 Uh, I know, I know for people again, like based off the statistics that Sarah just gave it for some people that that's just, uh, being alive is a positive. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's, uh, all about, again, kind of going back to what are you, what are you going to define as success or failure? Um, and you can define that in any moment or in any situation. So again, for me, um, success coming out of the pandemic was to not have completely wasted my time, um, and to have, done something, um, either different or done more of something that I, that I like to do or want to do. Um, so, uh, yeah, so like I've been reading more, um, I've been a lot more deliberate about, uh, reaching out to and talking with, uh, friends and family, um, and really just trying to, because this is forced on us, just trying to be, you know, by yourself and um, kind of learning a little bit more about yourself. So um, for me, it was important to kind of to build on my relationship with God. So I've been doing that um, a lot more. So those are those are the things that were important to me that if I'm going to I'm going to have all this time on my hands I'm at my house doing nothing. Um, I should not be not, I should not be doing nothing. I should be trying to do something um, to say that I, to say to myself that I feel good with um, the things that I've done over the, over the time of being at home. So. Oh, good. Sarah? I just highlighted a lot of statistics that I know sounded really negative but I wanna focus on the fact that I was able to get those statistics, which means that we are looking at this. And I know we're not talking about it anywhere near enough, but now we're talking about it. And I think that's a positive. As I mentioned a minute ago, a lot of women are in healthcare and doing the essential worker jobs, the things that we don't talk about enough, cleaning up in hotel rooms and in hospitals, they are the ones that are in grocery stores, and they are in fast food places. And it is a thing that we do not talk about enough. And yet now we're talking about it. And I think that's a positive. We're talking about the constant labor that women are doing. And teachers, you know, we were talking, we were just talking a minute ago about how much is falling on the shoulders of teachers and an enormous majority of elementary age teachers are women. Yeah, very true. Very true. So if you were generals for the day, what would you like to see changed in the military with regards to gender and diversity? And how would you do it? Well, if I'm a gender, uh, if, I'm, if I'm a general, obviously things have already started changing. Yeah, so. good point. <laughs> um, man, I, I've really uh, appreciated, as, as weird as this is going to sound, like, I've really appreciated that 
some of the things some that some of the like um, social justice things have happened over this past year um, because we were kind of at a point where everybody was kind of thinking that oh things are things are fine and we don't need to grow anymore and anybody worth their salt as a leader or a person who's interested in life knows that growth has to continue you can't you can't stop so um I've, I've appreciated that that has happened um though as far as like what I would change um man I I think a lot of the things that I would have thought to change are starting to happen. Um, so I don't have any like super fantastical idea of how things should change, um, except, you know, that we are being deliberate. And again, I just, I keep going back to this and I think it's, it's just been such a motivation and important in my life to have these people that, um, men in particular, that are being deliberate in trying to see past what they see as norms um, for anything. So um, if I could just have more more people like that in the Air Force, that would be great. So um, yeah, if I were a general, um, I guess... I guess one thing, okay, one thing I would change, though, um, is the way that we promote in the facts of a lot of our things are very uh, top down and only your only your boss really promotes you and a board of people that are higher ranking than you promote you like nobody else really gets a say in that or they or if they get a say it's like through backdoor whispers of all oh, this person person on this board oh six on this board you should make sure that this person you know uh makes it makes it to the top. So I'm I'm a huge, huge proponent of 360 degree feedback um, as a way for not just like giving the feedback, but for actually um, providing uh, reference that this individual is prepared to take on more responsibility. Because it's not it's not about what your it's not just about what the people above you think. Um, your peers have to work with you the people below you have to work with you. If they don't think you're a good leader, if they don't think that you're up for the task, uh, that really should weigh heavily on a leader's decision to um, say, yeah, you're ready to take on more responsibility. Um, because why the heck would I give you $100,000 if you just squandered the $10 I, I gave you? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. So. Um, that is something that I would change because I, I, I think uh, leadership is not just a top-down thing. It's, it's a circular. So. I like that. I know that they do that at the general officer level, either in addition to your, your own annual review done by your, by your boss, you get 360-degree feedback, and it, and it works. Um, so I would like to echo that. I'd also like to say that the one thing I have been frustrated about, not just in the military, but just society in general, is that it always feels like any sort of inclusion or diversity or whatever you want to call it seems to be stymied by this idea 
that if we bring different people to the table, then I'll lose my seat. And I have always wanted to change the conversation to you're not going to lose your seat at the table. We'll build a bigger table and we'll bring more voices to the table. Exactly. And so instead of just saying that conceptually, one thing I would like to see is an idea of maybe, I don't know, monthly lunches or something or some sort of committee where you have people from all ranks that discuss a problem or an issue or just a topic to get more voices of all ranks, all genders, all sexual orientation and races to just discuss issues in the military and just get all kinds of feedback and like see what ideas bubble up. We, we can build a bigger table. Yeah. I love that. I like that. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I often run into people in, in academe with that, with that type of mindset that if we, you know, um, if we, if we promote diversity, then that means I'm going to lose out in what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing. And, and I keep questioning, well, why do you think that, you know, it's, you know, if we, if, if we were to promote something like that, then, then we're going against everything that we believe in. Right. And that's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, we want your voice. I may not agree with it, but I want your voice. Um, so yeah, thank you for for that. So what's next for both of you? Um, what are you hoping to do? Career plans? Yes. So uh, for me, I am uh, going to be heading into something I've been wanting to do for the past, I don't know, eight, nine years. Um, get to go be an RTC instructor, ROTC instructor. At oh, wow. Matter. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about it. I, I really enjoy, um, I really enjoyed that environment of mentorship and yeah. um, teaching and teaching leaders how to you know, be good leaders. Cause, uh, I, you know, it, we, we can't get anywhere if the people that we're trying to bring in to continue on this tradition of legacy and valor are, uh, <laughs> subpar, subpar leaders. And so, um, I'm, I'm really excited about that opportunity because I've been wanting to do it for, for a while now. Um, and I'm glad that, and more importantly, I, I'm really glad that the air force is, taking that responsibility more seriously um, because I know for a long time it was kind of seen as a not not a real great opportunity to do uh, to go be an instructor but um, I mean it's just it's just like teaching in in the regular world I I will never understand the thought process that uh, teaching in any form or fashion is somehow like a lower level thing to do. You're, you are informing next generation. You are informing a next generation of people and you don't want those people, um, getting informed by not so great people. So, uh, so I'm excited for that opportunity. Um, and I'm hopeful and more importantly, I'm, I'm excited to be coming back to the United States because I haven't been um, in the U S for a few years now. So, um, that's that's yeah. what I'm hoping to do, and I'm hoping uh, to see how this goes for me because I've never I've never taught anything before. So 
I'm kind of, I'm hopeful to see how it goes and see if it becomes something um, more. Um, so yeah. you're going to be a huge asset there. And, you know, just having worked with you, I think that you're going to be great and you're going to have that good camaraderie with your students. And um, we appreciate I'm so close to them. What's that? <laughs> Because I'm so close in age to them. <laughs> that too. <laughs> She's the baby in our office. <laughs> um, but you're right, though. They have uh, the Air Force has put more emphasis on it as as an important piece, which I don't know why they haven't thus far. But it was considered a career killer up until recently, and now it's considered a good round out of your career. So oh. I think you're going to be yeah. amazing there. Thank you, Sarah. I will say that Nicole. Whoever gets Nicole for an instructor is so lucky. Mm-hmm. What's next for me? I am in this job that I'm currently in for a little while. I expect I might move reserve jobs soon, but I'm not sure. I do some mentorship and hiring and placement for our reservist in the office. So I'll be continuing that, which is the, my favorite part of my job. Um, so I'm looking forward to continuing that work and continuing to elevate the voices of women in my office. Yes. Awesome. She hired me in this job, so, you know, she's got, she's got good taste. <laughs> All right, so as we wrap this up, we like to ask our guests what their call to action is, the one piece that they would take away from you um, as to make the world a better place. What is your call to action? My call to action um, would be to know and understand and define um, what success means to you and how you want to reach it. Um, You can't do it in a vacuum. Um, You can't fully succeed in life in a vacuum. You need people. as the saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. I would take it a step further that it takes a village to sustain life um, and all the good things that come with it. So um, my call to action is to learn and understand um, what, what you deem as successful in your life and be part of that village that helps other people do the same for their lives. Beautiful. That's cool. That's really cool. I love working with Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I think my call to action, to say it simply, would be to say speak up. For the women listening, it is Women's History Month. Learn your history crawl onto the shoulders of the women who came before you. Their fights were not in vain. Speak up. Um, If you feel scared to use your voice, I want to encourage you to harness that fear and push through it. Bravery is not the absence of fear. It is looking at that fear and saying, okay, I'm going to keep going. So if you're scared to speak up, I want to encourage you to draw up that strength and speak up. To the men who are listening, also speak up. Elevate women's voices. Listen to women. 
and call out things when they're a problem. Because we see problems every day and we get scared to call them out. So to everybody who hears me, speak up. I love it. Ladies, this is a front runner of my favorites. Again, I feel like every week Fred and I, we like deconflict or decompress and we're like, man, those were so good. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Loved our conversation today. Thank you so much for being guests. Thank you so much for your service to our country, service to our women, service to our future leaders. Um, You guys are amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you.